Hello, friend, and welcome to the Rise Collective podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Jordan, and I'm honored to facilitate a place to gather and hear stories and teachings from our relations. Thank you for being here. If you find value in these episodes, you can become a patron and get exclusive bonus content at patreon.com slash risecollective. Before we begin, let's call in our benevolent guides. We humbly give thanks for your assistance and support today. May our listeners hear what they need to hear in service of their highest good. And so it is. Hi, welcome to the Rise Collective Podcast. I'm Carrie Jordan, and this is episode 18. Today, I'm sharing my interview with Sarah McLean Bicknell. And first, I want to thank my wonderful patrons who help keep this show on the air. I'm so thankful for your help. Right now, we have eight patrons with a goal of reaching 50 patrons by June 15th, with, which is in just over a month. I ask that if you find value in listening to these episodes, you become a patron for as little as $3 a month. There are costs associated with producing the show and every little bit helps. If you can't support in that way, please write a review. Today's Patreon bonus for this episode is $25 working with Sarah, our guest. She has some powerful healing ways that you can work together and you'll be able to do so at a lower price point with this coupon code. Some of the ways that she works with people is through virtual sessions, um, tarot readings, exploring your relationship to your work, your family relationships, your health and your inner world, finance, romance, decision exploration, choices, consequences, and mentorship series. Sarah is a very wise elder, and I think you'll gather that in this episode with her. I would definitely recommend her. I met her at Spirit Weaver's gathering and sat in a ceremony with her, which was very synchronistic and very impactful in my life and my spiritual journey. So I, I'm really honored to interview her today and share her brilliance with you. So you can access that Patreon coupon code, um, the, the coupon code to work with Sarah on Patreon, and that website is patreon.com slash rise collective. And it's available at the $3 per month level. If you don't know grandmother Sarah, I'll share about her now. Sarah McLean Bicknell is a healer, a teacher, and a mentor. She has studied healing and ceremonial work in North American indigenous traditions for 30 years. She's incorporated her Celtic roots into her present North American practice and is sought out for her intuitive readings, her workshops, ceremonies, and her soul doctoring practice. 
She stands in deep gratitude to her elders and teachers that have gone before and stands firmly in her own vision, a vision that is related and crafted for the, the times of now in the 21st century. Her work is about connection, community, ceremony, and respect. Also raised in the Western world, she has lived the loss of disconnection and is profoundly thankful for her indigenous elders who taught her how to re-arrive more fully into her life. And she shares about that in this interview. She also shares about how in 1991, Sarah was adopted by ceremony into the ghost horse Hunkawaye uh, Lakota Nation. She stands in deep honor to her many elder mentors and ceremonial collaborators. Sarah's effectiveness as a teacher and a mentor is seated in her ability to move quickly with a core style of kindness, pragmatism, humor, and discipline. In her workshops or in private sessions, she is adept at astute listening, enabling her to tease out and distill core issues in both individuals and in groups. She synthesizes information quickly to determine what's needed to shift entire belief systems and break up the gridlocks that keep people and organizations from arriving at their best work. This work is so needed. In this episode, we are talking about how true wisdom comes from dark darkness and transition, life transitions, specifically very challenging life transitions, how listening and prayer go in hand in hand, how the earth is shifting consciousness and we're dreaming the big dream, the song lines are shifting, tarot as an entry point into spiritual practice and accessing inner wisdom being a bridge between cultures and worldview through ceremony and constellation work. Once again, if you're interested in working with Sarah at $25 off, head over to the Patreon page and you can access the coupon code there at the $3 per month level, patreon.com slash rise collective. And let's head into the interview. I'm super excited to share this one with you. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for being with us today. Welcome to the Rise Collective Podcast. Well, hello. Thank you. Thank you. And blessings to all of those on this line and to you and your family. I'm deeply grateful for this opportunity to be present with you at this time. Thank you. Thank you. I I think I want to start by just sharing a little bit of my experience and how I met you because it was really, um, it was really impactful in my life. So we met two summers ago at Spirit Weavers Gathering and somehow my schedule got messed up and I, I wasn't able to go to the class that I signed up for and I was wandering around and I found myself um, in a tent in with you and we had a beautiful ceremony about the 
maternal line about our maternal lines and we went down to the river and bathed in the river together and it's such a treasured memory for me um, I'm really grateful that you got so much from that. That's that that is indeed a blessing and a blessing on the work, and um, to heal the matriarchal line. Um, we are so broken and so much of our heritage forgotten, especially for Western women, that um, our indigenous roots have long been frayed. And so to start that serious work of bringing that back together, empowering ourselves through the strength of reconnecting to our true roots is very powerful and very necessary. Yeah, so happy you found me. Me too. Yeah, I remember, um, I remember just be, feeling such a yes in my system to you when we were together at Spirit Weavers. And I think partly that's because I project my own grandmother onto you. Um, because she was also British and um, yeah, projections yeah. can do I, things I, yeah, like I'm that. Very aware of the interesting mix of um, the British voice, though that's not so strong now. Some of the Brits would say I sound very American. I mm -hmm. call it mid Atlantic, some kind of washing there in the oceans there. But, um, and that's because I've been here for so long. But uh, that combination of the British voice that has spent um, considerable time with the indigenous voice um, is an interesting dichotomy of sounds because there's so much of the uh, Western projection of um, patriarchy and so on and the the conquest and of land and everything that is in antithesis to the indigenous voice is present. Uh, often really characterized within the British or the European voice. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of an enigma because the two worlds come together when you're with me of um, both, both aspects of who we truly are. You know, we're not just light. We are a combination of both. And I think that's where the healing of the feminine line is so important because through that we also step out of that rather Christian idea of being good girls and really encompass the um, needs sometimes which we're certainly experiencing in this specific time of spring 2020 is uh, the needs to also for creation and new birth to happen there also has to be destruction and that the feminine really really holds those qualities in a beautiful way not in an aggressive and um, antagonistic way so yeah there's a lot of power there yeah yeah absolutely i i love what you said about um not being good girls and also this dichotomy of the European voice um, combined with all of your experience spending time in, in indigenous North American indigenous communities and um, that dichotomy. So I'd love to get into some of your background and um, would you mind sharing with us a little bit about how you got here? Yeah, no, no, that's fine. Um, 
I was raised in Cambridge, England, in uh, what would be considered a very uh, privileged um, way in that uh, my father taught there and uh, my mother actually was a ballerina and um, taught dance to uh, ballet to children all the way up until she was in her 70s. And so um, that was kind of an unusual setting of parents uh, in the 50s where a lot of the, so I sort of grew up with a mother that was, um, that lived but also pursued her creative art. And as I said, in the 50s, that was unusual. So I, I got a really, um, a very much more open and inclusive view of the world than, um, than a lot of my peers because I met extraordinary people through that time um, that have gone on and, and made um, amazing imprints in the world. Uh, in the 50s, Cambridge was full of a lot of change, uh, of new vision coming out of the World War II and the people that were there, plus my mother's work in theater. So I had a very sort of um, eclectic kind of eclectic background within the holding of a, um, more of a, of a university, a very special university setting. And I didn't know how extraordinary that was till I stepped out of it, right? And life wasn't, didn't match <laughs> anymore. Um, and I also had, was born, um, like most people in England, there's times it was strongly held country-wise that the Anglican church was part of our education, part of, um, part of the prayer of the country. And so, I was gifted with three godparents at my christening, which was kind of a, what happened for a lot of children. And um, I had a, um, an exceptional connection with, with one who then recognized me later and said, when I was like 14, so oh, you have the sight. And I said, what's the sight? And she started to explain some of the ways that I could see things that didn't match with, um, my peer group and I had learned to um, just kind of keep that to myself uh, and I guess what you would say in a broad sense is I was able to see the energy beyond the physical form and uh, she then actually urged me at 14 to pick up the tarot deck and to train my intuition and my seeing through the very ancient western practice of tarot um, with so um, that's what I did. And when I first picked it up, it was great fun. I used to earn money <laughs> from reading for my uh, girls at school about their boyfriends, which most probably now when looking back doesn't, is not the integrity I would want to hold for a tarot reading, but I, I had the innocence of not knowing any better. And, um, and, you know, since then I've learned a lot and I've walked myself way back from that. But <laughs> uh, certainly at school, I was a teenager and experimenting with things and my ability to see and feel into things um, had to my friends and peer group kind of an accuracy that had me sought out. And I've been reading Tarot ever since, um, but uh, for friends and family and didn't sort of, and occasionally through my middle years, I've also um, charged to do it. But um, at quite an early age, 19 to 20 years old, I actually moved to the States. Um, 
I'm not going to go into the story of that, but basically I came out to help my sister and then I stayed because I had more opportunities here in the States and was offered more and um, loved the land. And I came right to the West Coast and just fell in love. It's, you know, it's so radically different from the mild and quiet English uh, background, none of this wildness, none of this rawness nor none of this movement of um, nature uh, in such a profound way that I just like wanted to stay. It was where I felt very connected. Mm. Um, and then I moved into a portion of my life where, you know, I married, had family, had children. And um, that was my focus. And that was my direction at that time. But I would every so often go off for a Buddhist silent retreat. I would immerse myself in learning different uh, practices, different uh, paths, but I didn't sign on into anything. Mm -hmm. uh, I just sort of educated myself across a broad base just by following my interests. I was curious. Um, and also, um, as most people know, when you're raising children to get a weekend off, it's like really cool. So this was like, um, was very supportive to me, but wasn't the primary focus in my life. It was my children and marriage. And um, I then in the 80s came into a time of um, deep internal pain and external crisis that led me into what I think would be termed as a real awakening um, and uh, came into uh, recognizing um, maybe more purpose to why I was here, why I was on the earth and in the earth and for the earth. Mm -hmm. And uh, the actually, as I was coming out of a very dark period where I had um, a bout of um, extreme illness and things like that, that can occur during these times, I walked out of the, into the convalescence of that or out into the wake of that and was greeted uh, as I went in my original teacher that I mentioned all the way back when I was 14 crossed over and as I came out of wow. that period of time which was one to two years I um, met the elders that I was then going to extensively work with that came from a, um, the Lakota background and um, it resulted in um, uh, finding a, um, a sense of welcoming and healing that I didn't know was possible. And they kind of unlearned me, as they would say, of my Western principles, which are firmly instilled in our DNA. You know, there's a lot that instills it. It's not just the, just our own lifetime that has instilled those principles in there and those values. And that resulted in 1990 or 91, I think, into being adopted into the family, which is uh, what they will do if they're really uh, sharing ceremonies and sharing, um, yeah, sharing what they have held on to for years, hundreds and hundreds of years through um, extreme times. And so is very precious to them and, uh, and is a very precious treasure that they hold. And so that is their way of allowing you in a little bit, um, or that was 
how I received it and how it was open to me, to which I am grateful. I would say it saved my life. I would say that um, everything that I am today is based in the foundation that they were able to rebuild with me. You know, I, I guess I built it myself, but through their careful holding of space and constantly reflecting back um, to shift and change. And um, I'd laugh because I think in 89, I'd heard that it was a 16 year training, you know, it, in order to really uh, come into relationship with the medicine and to come into relationship with allies. And I didn't think too much about it at the time at all, but it was interesting to look back that, you know, it was 2003 that I was firmly on my feet, which is, you know, 14, 15 years later. And so, and my, those elders that had greeted me there actually crossed in 2005, 2000, that period of time. So it was interesting, it was a 16 year period. And um, not that I'm officially calling it a training, but that was when that was accessible to me. And then one day it wasn't in the same way. It is accessible, mm. but it's not the same way. Um, and their interest in me, I believe and understood was they said, actually, it's your Western way of seeing that is gonna help bridge this for your people. We want you to take the essence of what you now know, integrated through yourself and through your way of seeing and take it to your people. Which at that time I think I was thinking, oh, that means going back to England. That means, you know, I have, I, you know, as often we have some kind of imagined idea and it's nothing like that. Right. But um, I do begin to see through the grace of light that uh, what I do work with is, is the healing and the help and the support of bringing people fully into who they truly are as opposed to who they've been thought they should be or that outside. And that when we can truly be who we are, be we white, be we black, be we indigenous, be we whatever the race type is called or whatever the background is called or whatever the culture is called, that's where uh, we can truly come into coherence. And when we're in coherence, none of that matters. None of that matters. We're just one beautiful human family in connection and here to deliver even more light into the earth. So, uh, as I said, I found myself, I say my feet are firmly rooted in the grandmother's and the grandfathers of the indigenous tradition, I bow to them each morning for all that they have shared and been willing to share considering what my ancestors, right, what the Western ancestors have propagated on the earth, um, you know, the misguided dead end, uh, and their grace of forgiveness to believe that um, really the true healing comes when we come and uh, sit and listen. It's all about listening. Yeah. Not about advising or telling anyone anything. Just listening. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I love this piece about listening. I think it's such an important part of one's practice. It's an important part of my practice. Um, and I often make the distinction that Prayer is speaking to the, the divine and um, meditation is listening. 
but then there's also listening to the grandmothers and the grandfathers and the elders who are still with us and um, allowing that wisdom to come through. Well, I think it's an important thing to understand about wisdom is that it isn't wrought out of um, daisy fields and roses and wonderful times and sunshine. Wisdom is wrought out of the dark goddess or the dark mother or the dark moon, the phase of the dark moon, which this earth in the cycle, the cycle upon the cycle upon the cycle that we are in right now, and we're certainly experiencing, and we happen to be speaking just on the rising moon right now. It was, you know, um, I think that was yesterday was the, the, or two days ago, it was the slip of the moon, the first, first light showing. But before the first light shows is a period of true, true darkness where there, there is no light. And um, it's in those times that um, much of our internal troubles come to the surface and uh, we're, you know, and it's there where we hold hands with the, with the dark goddess um, from my Gaelic traditions that would be called Kaliach, but is the winter goddess and is the one that through the trials and challenges of life, which is what life is all about. It's not about not being in trial and tribulation. Um, actually rots the wisdom out of that because it's through the experiencing of how you move through those times of huge difficulty. It's when you move through those times of obstacle and stuckness and you actually move through it really in the full feeling sense of that piece and you come through because you have faith and trust and knowing that the cycle, the things will always turn you. This, this doesn't last forever. And what is it, how is it that you can move through with the greatest amount of capacity for kindness and generosity at that time, whatever it is that you are able to pull on yourself and what is it you're learning about yourself and what are those dark moments, right? That is where true wisdom is born. That is where true wisdom arrives. And so there have been, um, so the, the, the life where none of that occurs doesn't really allow wisdom to grow inside the person. And um, the wisdom comes out of soul evolution, something that is wrought out of the darkness into the light, which is birth, which is creation, which is the cycle of life. And that's a very powerful, important piece of the cycle that so many people want to avoid, want to forget, want to uh, close their eyes and walk through as quickly as possible. Yet it is where the gold truly is of, that's when you farm light in those places, it transforms you. Mm. What would you say to someone who's going through a really hard time of that darkness right now in service of them harvesting the most wisdom out of whatever circumstance they may find themselves in? There is always a big spectrum. And uh, we are in a time where our darkness is expressed as a virus. And uh, one of the uh, what always, what has always touched me very deeply about the indigenous prayer is that it's a relational prayer. 
it's not a prayer of dismiss or um, go away. It's like, oh, you're here. And um, I see you. And you're who you are and I'm who I am. And if things are potentially possible to be another way than a direct conflict between you and I, I'd be grateful. You know, if the water from the flooding river could pass to the side of my house and that doesn't upset the bigger need of the river that now I would be grateful. And if the river has a bigger need and has to come through my house, so be it. I, I, I'm okay with that. So it's having a relationship with. Mm. Um, and so uh, fear is really what is arriving in our world right now that is com- constricting the world. And um, I believe is of more concern than the virus itself. Mm. So uh, the virus is a symptom and an expression, but the fear, you know, the engineering of fear and so on, that's, that's something that's uh, good to look at and to really give voice. So I, if those who are in those dark, dark spaces, which, you know, if you have this virus in literally in your family, or you have it within your own body and it's expressing itself through symptoms or loved ones with symptoms, or your economy has been taken away and you're not sure, you know, those really places. What we have learned as human beings is that that can put you in survival mode. And that's what you need to do, whatever you need to do in order to survive, right? We've we've known this. If you have a spiritual practice and you can keep faith and keep trust, bless you, what is it I can do to help that, right? But there's also an acknowledgement and a recognition that sometimes it just takes your energy to get up and move through the next day. The rest of us that are not in that place can spend this, can direct our energies and love by really accessing as much light as possible, not just for ourselves, but for our fellow family, for our mother earth, the divine light, the energy of the mother, allowing that through us, not holding on to it, but allowing that through us, develops a beautiful bank of love and light that hopefully can reach these darker places. You know, that's my prayer, right? But I can't will it. I can't say go to see someone, right? Um, But also what I've learned in my own dark places is sometimes all it takes is reaching out and you are absolutely met. But when it's energy, it's always there. It's present all around you, but it's not going to activate until you participate with it, have a relationship with it. So as you're having a relationship with the darkness, is it possible to see that speck of light that you can also have a relationship with? And it's not about ignoring or um, saying the dark doesn't happen. And some of us have been called to walk through an extremely dark time. And as I say, if I'm speaking You know, if I was to hear those stories and to hear that person, I would be saying, um, I would be just wanting to listen to their story and to listen to what they're afraid of and what is really scaring them and not to talk them out of it or not to advise them anyway, just to keep them company in the dark. And maybe I can hold a little bit of a candle at that time but not in what I say or do, just in the holding and the comfort of willing to be there, right? Mm. 
mm-hmm. the willing to touch, the willing to relate, the willing to be able to sit in the midst of stuff and not be afraid. And we are seeing this with our doctors and our nurses and all those that are in the, the caring in the care homes or in the uh, hospitals and in all the different places of outbreak. Uh, you are seeing doctors admit the cloud of virus without necessarily any physical protection, having the faith, courage, and truth to stay right with those that are truly suffering, knowing that that is what they do and to not put, not step back from it because they're afraid stepping through with it. I'm sure there, you know, fear is there. I'm not right. So I think to look at that piece, to look at that meeting of COVID, Mm. which is met with love and attention and no, it doesn't necessarily, um, you know, there's no guarantee of what's going to occur, but at least that person in the throes of symptoms is still receiving love. And that is, that is the big power. That, mm. That's the only power. That's, that's what uh, we're here to bring more in as much as we can and um, allow that because light is consciousness change. And the more light, if you take the sunrise, right? Before the sunrise, you can't see anything. The sun rises up and we get the light. There's that dusky place, that sort of dawn place, which is really beautiful, where the mother is kind of in conversation with the divine father and then they sort of move apart, right? And the light comes in so that we can see. And the light comes in and makes things grow. It allows to see the new, right? Never forget what we, how we experience the earth is how it is. Mm. So um, that ancient wisdom is as true today as it was yesterday. And that the power is in the light and the light brings the love that allows things to grow and to manifest. And it's until there's an interaction with the dark and the mother, can it begin its place or even have a place? Mm. Yeah. What I'm hearing is being a beacon for the light when you can hold the light. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which doesn't mean false optimism, false promises, uh, false positives at all. It's more about knowing who you are in your own light of yourself and being, and really having a practice that constantly is generating what you need to really be able to hold that and just know that and listen, Mm. listen to those stories and feel in your body because we're empathetic, empathetic beings. Sorry, I can't find the word. <laughs> so, um, you know, when we sit and really listen to a story of sorrow and grief, it, we're not immune to that. And it moves inside our body a little bit. And so that's how we kind of listen. We also listen with ourselves, not to give over to it, but to, to be able to also recognize to see, feel, and know that perception inside of oneself and just to sit there and not. Yeah, it's mm. like, yeah, this is true. Mm-hmm. This is that person's experience and that is their sacred connection at this point. And, some, and the wheel keeps turning and one day it'll be you. We don't all get out of life without walking through um, extreme crucibles because that's what moves the soul forward and that's what we're here to do. Mm-hmm. 
but not to be afraid of it, to step into it and go, oh, this is, this is, this is what I'm being given to work with. Yeah, what's coming up is that uh, there's a saying that's something like the, the challenge is not in the way, it is the way. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Is, yeah, and this conversation, yeah. oh, go yeah. ahead. And then there's so much available to everyone, even in the darkest moments. Um, in fact, the darkest moments often produce the most brilliant dreams during your nighttime. And um, the connection, you know, I sort of work in three ways to develop that inner core. And one of them is, you know, one of the major works is, is dream time and um, ceremonial work and also constellation work for the healing piece. And the dream time allows that um, greater powers and greater forces around you to actually have conversation with you differently than when you're awake. So it's a very powerful use of the dark, um, the darker night. And the, um, so what I have noticed is when people are in a place of deep stress or distress, is the, the dreaming often is quite vivid. And rather than seeing things as nightmarish and difficult and scary, it's like, whoa, I'm being shown. Um, the, the occurrence of the nightmare is, to, is because I haven't been listening. And what happens if I start to listen now? And uh, what, is, what is this you know, nightmare saying about fear? What is it I'm afraid of? You know, just a lot comes, comes with that. And so learning to walk with your dreams is a very, very, very powerful practice that informs your everyday uh, with wisdom and truth. And then um, the other part of it, um, the ceremonial work, you know, and I put prayer in there too, which I think you expressed, you know, prayer is the, speaking out and then the, the, to remember that the other half of prayer is listening. We often forget that. I often think when I sit in, when for some reason I'm witnessing a more of a religious service, um, I'm always going, oh, not so much time for listening. A lot of praying, but not so much time for listening. The other thing that's very powerful to do when you're in the bleakest of places is to start singing. That is so true. It doesn't matter what you sing, mm -hmm. um, but you know, keep focusing on the light, even if you can't see it, know that it's there and keep singing, keep singing to it. And um, it'll, it'll allow more spaciousness and allow more um, ability to be okay with wherever you are. The song doesn't shift, doesn't change the outer, but it absolutely changes your inner, which then allows the outer to permeate something else. That is moves a lot of energy. Yeah. And the world, the universe responds to sound and vibration because that's, we are light and vibration. So it's a very, very powerful way. And the other place for those that are in those dark spaces is if they can, if they've got some grass, some earth, and they can put a blanket down or anything else like that, but to lay down flat on their tummy on the earth, because actually what's happening right now is the earth herself is changing consciousness and everything we are experiencing, we calling it COVID, but actually is the human family also um, expanding and shifting and growing. 
um, at quite a pace. And if we're able to lay ourselves along the ground as our eldest taught us, then our mother, our true mother, Mother Earth, is able to actually entrain a little bit some of this vibrational stuff, which means that there is a greater ability to move through this time with less disruption and less disorder and especially mental disorder. So it's very, that's an important practice at this time that anyone can do. And it's kind of fun if you've got kids. Yeah. Can you say more about the earth changing consciousness? Right. She's now? the one that's changed. Well, the universe is changed. Everything, the dream, the big dream. Mm, yeah with the planets we are going through that itself is going through an evolutionary change and so are we because we're not different we have the same you know the same fields around every atom that we have around the earth right for people to understand this is a big dream change and even the indigenous um the aborigines will tell you that through the disruption to the to mother through mining and all the other things that have been going on, there has been an ending of the old dream lights because they have been abruptly stopped when the sacred places underneath have been disturbed. And so new dream lights are being placed, put down right now. And there's a beautiful sense that even cities now can lay their own dream lines because things have changed and shifted. Cities aren't bad, but they need their own dream lines. They didn't have them. Now we need new dream lines for the human family and the way that we are now and that is already beginning to happen and that sort of cut off as far as i understand from the aborigine te teachings happened at the equinox of this year so it's just starting and we're just about to move into aquarius and we're just about we're just about and with covid we're just about to come out there's a lot of just abouts can we just hold strong can we hold true can we be just hold the light right now and not rush into anything, allow things to arise and occur organically in their timing without us interrupting it. That would be my prayer. Hmm. I need to give some space to your prayer. I think trust is the word that's coming up from me for me as you're sharing about that and also, um, I'm aware that one of my neighbors is using some sort of <laughs> noisy tool. <laughs> um, but when you were talking about your work with dream work and bringing the unconscious to the conscious, and now we're talking about dream lines and the big dream, I think it's really important right now as we are co-creating the big dream from perhaps from the beginning or a new starting line it seems really important to have our unconscious conscious so that we can know what we're dreaming we can be aware of what, what the I big dream is. If you're not aware of your dreams and you don't have a conscious dream practice, then excuse me, you are contributing to the nightmare because your dreaming power is being used. Mm. And you need to take charge and be responsible and accountable for it and use it in the way you would like to. Yeah, it's, 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 it's big. Um, it's really big at this time. And um, 
the other uh, way the Aborigine grandmothers will speak about um, developing the new dream lines actually is as they would call them song lines. And that all we need to do in the cities is to start to hum and to start to sing and to connect with light that way. And that's how the new lines begin to form. Mm, that's such and a simple thing. Humming. Yeah. Humming. So you're in a very dark place. Everything seems to go. Sit in a corner and just start humming and see, see how that shifts. If you're really honest with yourself, how that shifts your inner technology into a, to a place of greater comfort. And, you know, if you can't stay there, I'm going to ask you, why are you attached to the darkness? Attached to this, you know, go, that's a little shift. I'm going to focus on that shift. Let me hum some more. Sometimes we just want to ignore this, and yet this is um, to ignore our internal spaces we've been trained to, and I'm saying no, internal space first. Absolutely. And to love ourselves and to know ourselves, and to love ourselves is just to know ourselves beyond the field of a place where we do things that are bad or wrong. There is just compassionate understanding and a genuine love of oneself in all of its darkness as well as its lightness right then you know who you are and when you know who you are you hold the light when you know who you are trust is present mm. yeah i think you asked about trust mm -hmm. would you say that lis listening is an important piece of knowing who you are or what how would you say how would you advise someone to begin to tap into that knowing of oneself and one's inner wisdom well to me that's a practice and that's you know for myself where i learned that was by having strong mentors around me teachers elders that could um they were guideposts they never told me what to do but they advised and I learned through trial and error that advice usually was really good, but not necessarily the easiest or the most comfortable thing to do. So uh, if you're just starting out or coming from a very dark place, it's good to have a village of support. And what is that village like? Those that can really listen to you and from their own experience of life, share their experience of life, not by saying this is what you need to do, but sharing their own experience or telling a story that helps you come into a place of a different action for yourself that then creates greater healing and greater well-being. I'm about greater well-being for, for everyone because when we're in a greater sense of well-being, it's not a vibrate, there's a refinement of this inner technology that is more able to take on beauty and um, in that way and so um this earth this ex soul experience here as we know is a very dense one you know if it went any slower it would stop right so um what is it what's in our daily practices that refine re i think the word refine is is or clarifies mm. you know how we clarify and become clearer and more transparent to ourselves and being in that place of acceptance of our vulnerabilities, our dark spaces, um, because 
the more inclusive we get and the more expansive we get in, in our inclusion, we realize we're all of this. We are, the story that always comes up to me is um, uh, St. Teresa, when she woke up one day and I, um, this is right before Calcutta, her Calcutta um, days. And she woke up and she, she recognized, she says, boy, you know, I recognize the Hitler tyrant in me. Hmm. I realize under certain conditions that um, I'm as capable. Now, hopefully I would choose something different. And she did. She poured all of that energy into her work in Calcutta, which was extraordinary. But anyone who worked really close to her said she was very tyrannical in the way she ran things, right? So it's the energy, recognizing it and using it in service for the light rather than self-centered, self-purposed. Um, and that is where things get dense and what we would call, I call it really dense and uh, difficult. Mm -hmm. and, and I would hope that that's not where I'm putting my energies, though um, I have vulnerabilities like everybody else, right? We all have vulnerabilities of great darkness and great capacity. And through the grace of my creator, I don't fall into those holes too often. Right? Mm -hmm. But when I do, I have the tools to, to get out. Yeah, I like this. Um this uh, thing you're saying about mentorship and asking for support and looking for community in those dark places and, and also putting our, putting our inner tyrants to work in service of the light. Yeah. Um, Cause that's a huge power and it has huge force and it gets things done as we know. Right. Absolutely. And I'm sure every day she worked on trying to soothe her hard edges. <laughs> yeah, there's a duality to all of our yeah. characteristics. Yeah, yeah. Like the, the shadow of the, the servant, I guess, is the martyr, right? The, per, the person who feels all kinds of resentment for the service that they're doing. And so every, everything we do. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of the hangman, I, I have this question that I've been wanting to ask you about Tarot as your entry point. And I'm curious how you would um, describe that entry point for yourself and how you might guide others to work with Tarot as an entry point or for any type of self-discovery. Mm -hmm. Well, it is the it is the hidden story of Western mysticism, um, and uh, uh, it's based on you know it comes out of the two to three thousand years of patriarchy. I'm not ignoring that piece. So you know it's the story of the hero's journey, um, but we can also call it heroine's journey. I mean it's actually about the initiations of the. the of, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the story of Pilgrim's Progress, but there's a lot in the sort of patriarchal, recently, more recent, last thousand years, Christian um, story. But in that are some amazing teachings that come all the way from Egypt, um, that come from, you know, the, one of the things I do, do really work with in my teachings of history is that 
of the of the worlds that happened prior to here and that the one we're in right now which we're shifting out of um, showed up in you know the first sort of written record of that is Sumeria which is uh, the, where Iran and Iraq is right now continues to be a hot spot right <laughs> but you know the, the the from that and there are principles and values for that period of time that come all the way through there and they come up and the tarot is the one way to pass it through in a hidden sense because the church the inquisition was busy burning everything right to do and as we know the massacre of women in Europe was extraordinary through the Inquisition and over 200 years, millions died, right? And were put to death. So Tarot again kept some of those teachings uh, in, in it. And um, there they, so the structure of really the Western mind and the Western way of thinking, which isn't all wrong, this brilliance, there is so much light also uh, we're inclined to just kind of focus on bad patriarchy, bad occupation, bad this, bad that. And I'm not saying that didn't go on, but there is also a light that came through that is an important inheritance. And so the Tarot teaches you that inheritance, uh, what you do with it is up to you, right? Um, and so there is a ancient thread through it that I, that I greatly appreciate and it develops the intuition inside of you because you're looking constantly through windows and you come to know the archetypes that are very present in the you know in the invisible in the field that can uh you know that's a whole nother teaching but the archetypes you learn the western archetypes and you those can show up in dreams those can show up all, all kinds of places you begin to recognize their signatures through the work on the tarot and you have the, um, it teaches about soul evolution, the initiations that are inside of us that actually you find to any human being living life, uh, be it in the jungles of the Amazon or in New York City, right? There are natural places of development and understanding that occur. And so it's around, it's around this is a, a deep understanding of the human family and the human frailty and the human vulnerability and the seduction. So it's all in there. And when sort of used with that perspective, it is, it is a soul reading, not a, um, not a sort of mundane level kind of reading. And uh, they're very useful windows. And of course, what's multiplied out, you know, you can now get native tarot decks. You can get, you know, decks that are, are a million. Yeah, I would imagine the thousands of them, right? Um, and, so after learning the traditional path, uh, people find the decks that work from them and, and take off from there. I actually use an elemental deck. Okay, I was going to ask you your deck. Fire mortar. Yeah, yeah, that's what I use. But when I teach, I use the Rider Waite deck because it's simple, mm -hmm. straightforward, and it carries the traditional pieces. And it's not like the Crowley deck that gets a little bit overboard and intense. Um, and also, but is that the Toth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's a tricky deck to work with. So in the sense of teaching. So the right away is what I teach with. Yeah. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing about that. It's, mm -hmm. it's such a wonderful tool. And I, I liked how you 
we're pairing it with dream work and how it, they can both bring up all these archetypes and um, unconscious messaging and absolutely they become windows into the subconscious absolutely mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. and the archetype you begin to render them energetically and i can sense if there's an archetype kind of present that is somehow i've attracted in then there's there's some kind of communication relationships some kind of conversation that needs to occur and i may not have the first clue why suddenly the emperor showed up and i can feel that signature right i'm going what you know because there's something in me is obviously calling this in because that's mm -hmm. how we, once we engage, when we engage, we call it. But if we don't do anything, nothing happens. Yeah. And if we pray and never take our mouth off the prayer, nothing happens. Yeah. I want to capture what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, for me, when you were saying when we don't do anything, nothing happens. When we keep talking and we're praying and um, just in our own minds. Pushing out energy. Mm -hmm, then nothing happens. It, and what How can can, anything get in? Right. Nothing you're you're not happens. allowing any messages to come in. And then as a result, I think that creates complacency for a lot of people. Why aren't my prayers being answered? Mm -hmm. and to understand about prayer it's kind of like uh it's almost if you pray for patience in all probability the universe will give you many things all at once that you get incredibly impatient with <laughs> and that's the saying about that be careful what you pray for absolutely best prayer is just to sit and listen and you don't get into any kind of trouble and things are evolved because you feel better. You're organically getting better. Your system is getting healthier. It's putting out and it's generating a little bit more. And so naturally things fall into the next necessary place without having to push and shove. I do leave a lot of prayers for other people. Um, I do pray for other people as part of my practice people write to me and ask for prayers and absolutely that's you know that's I'm a, I am a woman of prayer but I also know that's also about listening mm -hmm. yeah I, for me there's not one without the other they, they really go together mm -hmm. as we wrap up here um I know that you shared a, a piece I had a bit of curiosity about which was that you're a bridge between the western perspectives and the indigenous perspectives and i'd love to hear briefly what what do you see yourself bridging and what um what's going across the bridge in both directions what comes to mind when you say that is the constellation practice i don't know if your listeners are familiar with family constellation but it's um it's a pretty accepted process that started in Germany by Bert Hellinger um, in the early 90s. So it's kind of a new form, but it is also extremely old because it uses the base. I've recognized, I came to learn about constellation from being very immersed in ceremony. So I kind of recognize it from that point of place that there's a lot of the healing capacity 
in constellation that is present in ceremony. I'm talking about earth wisdom ceremony on one side of the bridge in constellation in Germany coming out of the World War II um, from a land that is um, full of really sharp and precise scientists, psychologists, you know, the, 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 there is a huge blossoming of many of the, many of those professions. Um, Germany's kind of at the height of a lot of that in my mind and how that practice is a practice that bridges. And I think that's why I have come to love it so much because here we have on one side ceremonial um, where you learn very, uh, within the earth traditions, it's all about coming into connection with your ancestors and working with your lineage and that they've got your back and moving forward and um, that you, as you sit right here, you sit right there, you are the latest expression of your ancestors, right? But they're all there, they're all, they're all, they're not somewhere else. And so there's that really strong place. And then with constellation, you actually within a, um, produced out of a Western framework, uh, you actually set up a situation with people kind of gestalt. There's a sort of sense of that. I'm not saying it is at all because it is different, but um, there's a place where you have people that represent your mother, your father, so on and so forth. And um, the field of your ancestral lineage, which is what's so abundantly um, present in the earth ceremonies, it's the same field and this way taps into it too. And so the overarching is the same. It's just another way of accessing it that um, comes according to the Western mind as opposed to the indigenous mind. So the, the way it's articulated verbally is different and, and works because of that. It's not talking about bears and mountains and sacred, you know, it doesn't have those words in it. It has mother, father, you know. So the, the blending of the two to me has been so powerful because actually what happens in that field of the bridge between the two is phenomenal healing. Phenomenal capacity of people to really shift and change and to leave differently. And um, so the combination of that plus dream work to me creates the bridge because you begin to open yourself up into another way of seeing. Even within the Western context, you begin to walk with the understanding that the world is much bigger than your five senses, right? That there's much, and you begin to articulate and it begins to show up for you and begins to help direct. And then you suddenly go, oh, I'm in co-relationship. I am in partnership. I am in a alignment and a light, you know, and I am part of something so much bigger and we're moving this all together. And there's a sense of life that is interrelated, interconnected. And it happens through the, to anyone who applies these practices together. I've not seen anyone not change. And so somehow, the you know, I feel that that's how it's all being combined. I have the dream work. I've always dreamed. So that's always been with me. I've always, um, and though I've done and pursued other dream practices, it's always ended up 
that it's, it's pretty much the way that I've always articulated it for myself. And um, that, because that was my first experience that everything's alive. Mm. So everything's alive and everything speaks. And I'm a messenger for that speaking. It's not that when I dream of, when I dream of the deer, it's not my dream, it's the deer's dream. And I've, I'm part of that dream of connection here. So yeah, it's, to me, I keep coming back. It's the three, it's the three, it's the three. And now I have, um, you know, have started at this point in time in my life of really sharing the triple practice, the triple goddess, however you want to see it. Um, and that is majorly as I walk through my seventies is what I want to share and to teach. Yeah. Because I think it's so powerful. I've seen the results in others and it's powerful. So the, the three, are dream work, ceremony, and constellation work. Yeah. Those are your main focuses for what you offer in the world. Yes. And um, the ability to train, you know, to facilitate and work in all three. What happens when you really do those sort of all together for like several days, right? Mm. Some people come out and they just want to facilitate constellation or they just want to do dream circles. The but the amazing thing are those that want to really integrate and share the, the practice that weaves together. But even the facilitator, having had this experience, starts to integrate it. You can't stop with it. what they may pronounce, articulate themselves into the outside world. Maybe I'm a consolation, but they have this back. I articulate myself as Sarah McLean Bicknell, but I have this huge indigenous contribution background that shifted and changed me, right? Mm -hmm. We go out as ourselves, but we're never not who we've always been. And those informational places where people have had a profound impact that have shifted us in a really helpful direction. And I bow to them every morning. Mm. Yeah. So grateful. I also saw on your website that you offer mentorship. True. Mm -hmm. um, actually, that's um, a big piece of my work uh, because I can do it virtually. Uh, if you happen to live in the Seattle area and you don't want to come in in person, you absolutely can. That's delightful too. But I do a lot of, most of my mentorship, those people that want to work with me that um, live far, far away. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that's, that's an agreement I make with the person, you or someone mm -hmm. else uh, for six months. And we look at where you want to be in six months. And um, I set an energetic trajectory, you know, after her listen to what it is. And then we proceed, we meet once a month. And um, sometimes it's homework, you know, I found people don't do homework. <laughs> <laughs> on work they don't do it so mm -hmm. um occasionally i come across someone who really does and then i work in that kind of context but i try to work with what works for you what actually uh you have joy about and look forward to doing because if you don't you won't do it and mm -hmm. so trying to find the practices that really work um that can be kept consistently with um energy right like yeah this works i can do this i can show up for 10 minutes a day meditate you know mm -hmm. so the spiritual practice that gets sorted and supported some people already on a really strong path that's beautiful it's already sort of um woven in into it and then it's about getting everyone you know the help and the mentoring i hope and pray has to do with uh really encouraging the person to come into their own coherence mm 
Mm. And I will definitely hold their hand while they look at stuff they have found difficult to look at, but is actually in their way. It's between them and their sense of creator. Uh, so we sort of just, it's a conversation and we constantly working at that. And I also with mentoring, um, that person stays on my altar for that time too. Where So there's, there's also that extra sort of grandmotherly attention, I guess, <laughs> energetically speaking. Yeah. I hold everyone. Yeah. And that's good. Beautiful. Where can people find you to get in touch? Well, I have a website. <laughs> um, and that is at my name, www.sarahmcclainbicknell.com. And uh, yeah, I think, I think uh, you've most probably looked at my website. You've been on there. I think it's pretty easy to find me. You can schedule an appointment. You can see what I'm teaching, what retreats are going. Um, right now, because we're in the midst of what we're in, um, there most probably aren't so much offerings of retreats because I'm not sure when we're going to go back. I do know I have a big one coming up in San Diego in October, um, but I've just canceled, you know, you know, there were several that didn't happen right in this time period. And the big retreats are about the, the, the combination practice and of training facilitators and that kind of work. The one-on-ones I do, I do mentoring, I do tarot readings, um, and uh, one-on-one sessions and uh, if you actually see me in person I actually do really uh, it's a beautiful doctoring practice that I do that's that is very ancient in its in its ways which really can help people a lot it really clears and cleans their energetic space that's the one-on-ones and um, then every so often if you look suddenly the, I'll be teaching to row and I'm about to develop which will be coming out any moment is most probably a um, monthly membership which is all done through zoom that will include small teachings um, meditational practice together uh, touching into dream work that you know just a general where people can connect also uh yeah wow that's exciting i'm excited to see how that unfolds and keep your eye out people for the membership um and you can visit sarahmacleanbicknell.com to get in touch with sarah so thank you so much sarah it has been such a pleasure to connect thank you very much for the blessing and the honor of being able to have this time with your listeners. That is really special. And I really genuinely from my heart wish well for everyone that's on this, that is listening in whatever time they are listening. (laughs) And um, may our paths connect. Thanks for joining us this episode. If you got value out of it, please take a screenshot and share it with me on Instagram. Tag me Carrie Jordan with a zero for the O. I hope this interview inspires you. I'll put any relevant links in the show notes on therisecollective.org. You can find past episodes, my weekly blog, and products for sale at therisecollective.org. And while you're there, download the guide to feminine goal setting and learn to work in harmony with folk magic and the rhythms of the earth. Hundreds of women have used this method to weave magic into their lives. It's simple. And it'll guide you 
forward toward your soul's purpose. Today's Patreon bonus for this episode is $25 working $25 off working with Grandmother Sarah and she has some powerful healing ways that you can work together like mentorship, one-on-one sessions, constellation work, ceremony work, and more. You'll be able to do so at a lower price point with this coupon code and you can access the code on patreon.com slash rise collective at the $3 per month level. If you love the show, please consider supporting its production at patreon.com slash rise collective. I can't do this alone. There are costs associated with the project. And if you like me believe that the voices of our elders need a platform to reach more people, please become a patron. It's so worth your while as you'll get gifts from podcast guests and I provide guided meditations, bonus interviews, resource guides, and a lot more. So you can get all of that at the $3 per month level. Thank you. And please subscribe in whatever app you listen to podcasts. I so appreciate reviews so that the show can reach more people. Thanks again for listening, and I'm looking forward to next time.